electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner. Front and center this hour, the stunning call on tech why one firm says that sector about to go on a tear. We'll tell you how much it thinks the gains could be and debate it with our investment committee. Joining me for the hour today, Kerry Firestone is the CEO of Arius Asset Management. Steve Weiss is here along with Jim Labenthal and Joe Terranova. Good to see everybody today. Let's go to the wall. Let's check where stocks are currently trading. Carl mentioned some of the new highs out of big tech today. NASDAQ somewhat muted. The overall market is too. Dow's down 50. Yields though 163. We're keeping an eye on the 10-year. But we are really focused, Joe, on this really stunning call today from, from Wedbush. They say tech is going to gain 25 to 30 percent for the rest of the year, that earnings are going to be the major catalyst, that the fundamentals and deal activity is going to be robust, and that's going to drive it. It's aggressive. Does it make sense? It's aggressive. It always makes sense when you're talking about technology and the consistent revenue growth that they deliver. Uh, This is also a call that I would remind our viewers that Tom Lee made just several weeks ago, where he said that he felt as though technology was in the midst of a bottoming process. So 25 to 30 percent, it is aggressive. It is the way that I am positioned, though, believing that technology will be a sector that continues to outperform. And I think, Scott, for the market, which playbook should we implement today? Because it's a very interesting formation in which you have oil continuing its decline below $59. You've got the VIX at its lowest level since February 22nd of 2020, and a U.S. 10-year Treasury yield is pricing at 163. So a little bit of growth, a little bit of value, that seems to be the right playbook. And I'll tell you what, I don't think the market is positioned for that. All right. Well, look, with all due respect to Tom Lee and some others who have said that, you know, maybe tech is bottom. Joe, you were looking for a move back into tech, too. Nobody's called for 25 to 30 percent gains from here forward nope. in, in, in the tech space. Um, so aggressive is carry an understatement, right? D- does that make sense, though? You, you think gains like that are really possible, given what the rotation has been dictating over the last many weeks? Well, I definitely think the direction of this call makes sense. Uh, when you've asked whether 25% makes sense, you know, these are numbers that analysts use sometimes. I, I think um, just I-, I-, I give them a wide band and say, it, it's an, uh, a move to the upside, and let's not forget about technology, which, by the way, has started to turn. Yeah, but this if is more than that. What's happened right? with this some is more than names. that. Let's not put a disclaimer on it, right? Yeah. This is not somebody, you know, just yeah. saying, oh, I think tech is going to run, okay? This is somebody that's saying tech is going to rip. Let's just make sure the context on yeah, it I, is clear. That's what this call is. I want to okay. know from you all does okay, it make so- sense to you? I think it's a little aggressive. I think to say that Apple can move 25% higher from this level, it's up 10% from its bottom. Um, Do I think 25% is a sensible number? I I never try to put numbers like that on sectors. For the market to move higher, you need technology to go up. I've said that before because it's 40% if you take tech 
Um, you just take the QQQ and you look at the top names, the Fangs, Amazon, um, plus Microsoft. You know, you're really talking about weights in the S&P that make such a difference. And you can't have the market overall move up another 10 percent unless technology is definitely going to move with it up up 15 percent. So I, I think 15 percent is something I could find reasonable. 25 percent is aggressive. But, you know, I, I, I don't like to um, be too negative about predictions because that means I think that mine are going to be on the money exactly. And, you know, and no one is correct okay. like that all the time. So, Steve Weiss, this, this this really only works if the rotation reverses itself. Right. How about this? In the first quarter, the bottom 25 stocks from 2020 had a median return of 32% so far this year. The top 25 from last year are down 3%. I'll give you some more evidence to back that up. Technology was up 42% last year as a sector. Year to date, it's only up six, whereas energy was down 37%, for example, and is now up 29.5%. So the Wedbush call really only works if the rotation reverses. Look, here's how I look at the call. Number one, I'm positioned for part of that call, but you're looking at technology as too big a sector. And sure, it's a large sector in the S&P. I believe the largest when you consider all the derivatives of it, information technology, et cetera. But not all tech is going to rise like that. So I do think 25 to 30 percent is possible in some names, like the Qualcomm that Jim owns or the Corvo or the Skyworks, and some of the other chips. Absolutely. But you can't focus on the single end point. All you can focus is on the direction and the areas will get it there. Do I think Apple's up 25, 30 percent this year? Not without a booming market. Do I think the Fang's 25, 30? Not without a booming market. So look, the directions continue to be positive. I've been there for a while. I've been saying that earnings will bear it out before Tom Lee, before the Wedbush technology analyst talking his own book. And that's where you should be. Look at bottoms up fundamentals. Forget about the rotations. Find stocks that are cheap and the fundamentals are improving or at least maintaining. That's the only way to invest. Otherwise, you'll drive yourself crazy trading off the long bond, trading off the short term treasuries. Just go with quality. All right. Well, Jim, period. End of story. You, you mentioned, Jim, Jim, you're buying more Apple, right? So you think that part of this works. You're buying more Qualcomm, which you already owned and what Steve Weiss just referenced your name in. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously, I agree with the call. If we're going to, you know, split hairs, I'm looking for 20 percent return. Uh, I think it very well could be 25 percent return. But let's actually do the math. Let's do the math. All right. Apple. Take Apple. It topped out at 145. I think that was January, late January, early February. It's now 127. So that's 13 percent off its high. You know, to get back up there, you get that 13 percentage points is to to a, a new 52 week high, a new all time high. I think that is reasonable given fundamentally what's going on with Apple. And once it reaches that new high, it's not like it just stays there. Usually it goes past that. So, you know, 20 percent and get the stock to 152, another another five percentage points, 160 by year end. I think it's completely reasonable. I could do the same math with Qualcomm. I won't. It's the same thing. But here's, you know, if I have to ask, where might I be wrong? Okay, two things. One, taxes coming out of, of uh, the Biden administration. But we're not going to know that till the fall. So I'm not going to really kvetch about that right now. 
Um, you know, the other thing, interest rates. But as I've been saying, Scott, I think that that story is losing its punch. Sure, interest rates could go to 2%. You're pretty darn close to that already. What I think is going to matter more is earnings. So I'm really looking forward to the coming month of earnings on these names. I do want to say one more thing. I think Steve is exactly right. Not all tech is alike. I am not saying the same things about Snowflake or Palantir or Zoom. Um, I think those stocks are still overpriced. Okay, so this is Dan Ives of Wedbush, right? He's the one who came out with the note today. Steve says he's talking his own book. Granted, he does cover the technology sector, and he covers a lot of the individual and the biggest names there. But still, it's a very interesting call to talk about. Apple outperformed. He has three favorite names within the space that are going to help drive that charge 25, 30 percent for the overall sector higher. Apple outperformed 175. That's the price target. That represents a 39 percent upside. I bring you those details because, remember, it was just yesterday when Katie Huberty over at Morgan Stanley talked about upside more in the mid 20 percent range because she had cut her price target from the mid 160s to the mid 150. So Apple super cycle thesis is playing out, she said. Microsoft uh, outperformed $300 is what Dan Ives says, 21 percent upside there. Nuance Communications, we never talk about that stock. Outperform 65 bucks. That represents a 47 percent upside. What do you guys think, Joe? Well, Nuance Communication is the one name that I'm going to talk about because I own that name going into the whoosh last year, and I got stopped out of it uh, during the pandemic. It's a fantastic company. It's a small cap. It runs at about $12 billion market cap. It's all about AI, voice and speech recognition. The stock is down about 10% here in the last four weeks, and it's a name that I would look at and view as an opportunity and might just purchase myself of the three names that were mentioned. Yeah, the the Apple deal is interesting. You know, again, I reference what Huberty did yesterday. Tony Sakanagi uh, says Apple typically outperforms in the three month period prior to a new iPhone announcement. So, Jim, you very well, very well may be correct, right, that he thinks this stock's got a three month runway into a launch in the fall of any new iPhone product. And that would set this thing up pretty well. Yeah, you use the key word super cycle because there is doubt about that. Obviously, I'm in the stock and adding to it, so I believe that. I believe that 5G is the creator of that super cycle. But I have to acknowledge there are many participants in the stock market who don't believe that the super cycle is going to occur. They feel that people are going to extend the lifetime of their existing phones and that 5G isn't enough of an attractant. To that, I say this is great. That's why the stock, at least in part, that's why the stock is off 13%, giving me an opportunity to add to it. You can take your positions on that topic. I believe that 5G is enough uh, of, of an attractant to get people to upgrade their phones. And also, by the way, people have been extending their phone lives already. That negative story only has so much room to run. As with the interest rate story, I think we're done. I really like Apple here. Yeah. Well, look, I mean, a lot of people obviously like Apple here. And, and Jim, I've, if I recall correctly, this is the second time that you've added to it, let's say in the last, I don't know, feels like four to six weeks, right? It's a great point because and I think you brought this up last week to me, Scott. You said, hey, wait a second. I thought you were kind of cautious. And I said, I'm feeling better than I have in quite a long time. So I've been chipping away at that cash pile. It's down now below 5%. 
I understand where the market is. I understand there are people out there thinking that we're due for a consolidation or maybe even a correction. That's not what I'm playing for. I'm playing for the next two years. I think this is going to be a golden opportunity to make money in the stock market. And I'm not going to try to trade around, you know, a correction that at least in the last year, there's been no correction well, of more than 9%. You can't, I'm, not going to, I'm not going to take the risk of being out. You can't, carry, play for a big correction if you subscribe to what Dan Ives is putting out, right? Because it doesn't work. You, you have to have names like oh. Apple lead the whole charge or lead a good part of it. And yeah. you need these big tech stocks yeah. to, to lead the way if you think he's going to get. You need a really good market environment if Dan Ives is going to be right. Because if you do have a great overall market environment, well, of course, Apple and Microsoft and the technology sector is going to do well, right? Yeah. Yeah, they're, they're the biggest names. And uh, as I, we were talking before, there has been a shift already. We're not hearing about all of the, the Reddit and the Robinhood lead names. That's not what the market is about right now. We've had solid companies, Apple's up 10%, uh, Twilio, which is the name we own, up uh, 13% this month. Facebook is up 20% since March 8th. A Peloton, which is the name we talked about, we bought last week, that's up 14%. And if you look at a chart, I put together some data on what is really happening in the market with earnings revisions that Vinny, Vinny worked on with me. And if you look at January, February, and March, you can see that for the companies with the most earning revisions upward, companies with revisions downward, in January and February, it didn't matter. These stocks just went up. People were indiscriminate in their buying. It wasn't a discerning kind of market. In March, you saw that the companies that had the most earnings upgrades on earnings for 2022, they were up 8%. Companies that had the most downgrades in earnings, they were down about 10%. So we believe that we're now starting to see some differentiation. It's not just let's buy the cruise ships, let's buy the airlines, let's buy the financials or energy stocks. Energy stocks are down in, in the last few weeks. Since March 15th, energy is down, financials are flat, industrials are up somewhat. These were names that were just massive outperformers in the first two and a half months of the year. And things have started to shift. And it's not just the tech is the area that's going up, but it's just the tech that's going to beat estimates because we can't just have multiple expansion. We have to have earnings that come through and beat expectations. And that's what the chart shows you, that investors are responding to higher, multiple, higher numbers for estimates well, over the next year right. or two. So there's a lot of bullishness around. I mean, you, you feel it. Even on the, the somewhat slow days yesterday, today, you still feel like the market is in a pretty good spot. You get a note like the Wedbush one today from Ives, and it gets a lot of people all bulled up on where everything can go. Now, the other side of that is where we're going to go in the real near term. And our next guest thinks the upside for stocks is muted, or it's going to be. It's Jonathan Krinsky. He's with Baycrest Partners. He joins us now. He's the chief market technician. It's good to see you. Good to it, see you, Scott. I, I saw this call that you made late, late yesterday afternoon, and it caught my attention. You said you think the upside is limited in, in the near term. Why so? Yeah, so we were with you guys uh, about a week and a half ago, and we were talking about this growth value trade and how for most of the last year, it's kind of been a bipolar market, as you have been talking about. It's either been uh, a cyclical value uh, reopen kind of day or a growth you know, stay-at-home long duration kind of day. Um, and what we were seeing in the last few weeks 
was kind of an acceptance that both can work. Um, and that's what we were talking about is that growth value Nirvana trade. And that's what we thought would get us to S&P 4100. Um, and that's kind of where we're at now. So, you know, you look at even today, you're seeing cruise lines up four, five, six percent, but you're also seeing some of the mega cap tech names, some of the, even the long duration growth names up. Um, so that's good. But what it's what the result of all that is we now have 95 percent of the S&P 500 components trading above their 200 day moving average. That's about as good as it gets. We've only seen that two other times in the last uh, 25 years or Un- so. Unless unless you think that we are in a sweet spot. Right. Jim Jim Kramer tweeted a a second ago, it's it's true that there's a lot of bullishness out there, but there's also a lot of money around. Right. There's a lot of money waiting to come into the market. You could add into the fact people are talking about Goldilocks. So you've got the endless liquidity. You've got all the money out there. You've got you're going to have a vaccine glut. You've got all sorts of pent up demand. You feel it. I feel it. Everybody feels it. And you have an improving earnings picture. Right. So maybe we're in a sweet spot. Goldilocks rather than as good as it gets. Well, I think you just made my point for me, Scott. That's the Nirvana trade. That's when every everything when all you can see is good news. That's when things get a little tricky. Everyone knows that the economy is getting better. Everyone knows that um, we're starting to reopen. And you have to remember that equities tend to uh, lead fundamentals by about six months. So you know, if we're talking about everyone getting back to the offices in September, October, you know, that's five, six months from now. The stocks are pricing that in. That's why we're seeing airlines doing what they're doing. That's why we're seeing cruise lines doing what we're doing. Um, and we've also seen a, you know, we've seen some consolidation in some of the tech names, but. You have to remember what they did from March of last year into September of, of last year. There was just absolutely stunning rallies. So, look, we're not saying that every stock is is capped here. You guys talked about some some names, Apple, Amazon. I think probably have a little bit more upside to go. Um, but I think when you start seeing everyone talking about how good everything is, you're seeing it in the in the sentiment numbers as well. Put call ratios are are dropping. Um, traders' daily sentiment are at like ninety yeah. percent bulls. Look, the VIX is like uh, you know, VIX was under eighteen. Right. I mean, that's as much of a sentiment indicator as anything. Yeah. So there's a lot of optimism out there. Um, And look, you know, we talked about that 95 percent above the 200 day S&P. One of those times was uh, was January 2004. The market didn't really have a big a big retracement. I think it oscillated maybe five, 10 percent, but it basically went sideways for about nine months. So I don't think this has to be a sell everything and we're going to see a huge correction. It, it could be a price correction, but there's a very good case. It could just be more churning. And we find ourselves you know, right back at this 4100 level um, in three or four months from now. So that's I think you just have to kind of hone in your your expectations on the on the index level. That would be that'd be surprising to be to be frank. I mean, I could totally understand like UBS today comes out and says we continue to see broad upside for the markets. Um, Okay, now you can maybe quibble on which part of the market you're going to see the bulk of the gains in, whether it's going to be value and cyclicals or technology. And they're talking about gains likely to be cyclically exposed portions of the market, like financials and energy. I I totally get that. But if somebody said, you know what, Krinsky, it's just trying to be just too cute on the tech, on the technicals, right? Until the Fed makes its first move, or at least even it's going to signal before. I mean, it's going to talk to the market before it actually acts, right? We, we assume that that's going to be the, the case. That until that moment happens, things look pretty good. Yeah, and let, let me just give you one other, one other example of, of kind of the um, prototypical cyclical value type of, of name. It was Deer Tractor, or Deer, John Deere. Um, this name is 50% above its 200-day moving average. In the history of Deer, 
it's never been that wide of a spread, even coming off of the bear market low in 2009 when you tend to get those wide spreads. So I think there is a lot of good news priced into not only the, the growth names, but the reopen names. So we don't disagree that things are getting better. It's just a, how much how much of that good news is priced in here. I appreciate your your point of view uh, and your research. We uh, we always point to it and like talking to you about it. Jonathan, we'll talk to you again soon. Sounds good. All right. That's Jonathan Krinsky, Baycrest. Um, all right, Joe. So Jamie Dimon, right? He's in the bullish camp. That's an understatement. He says the economic boom could easily run into 2023, right? So he's very bullish. Why does he post 2023? I don't know. Maybe he's thinking like I was just posing the question to Krinsky about. That's the first time you really get an inkling that the Fed could actually raise rates. Now, they could surprise us, but at least the paper suggests that 2023 is the first time you're going to see a move from the Fed. What about Mr. Diamond's bullishness? Well, I think his his bullishness is consistent with a lot of the economic projections suggesting in 2021 you're going to see growth of 7 percent. In 2022, you're going to see growth of uh, 4 percent. And then what happens in 2023? Where do you get the organic economic growth from? And to your point, does monetary policy potentially make a mistake and begin to tighten at a time when growth, economic growth is beginning to collapse? So I think into 2023, he's correct to understand that we have a marketplace that is favorable for equities. I also think, Scott, just listening to Jonathan talking about the bipolar nature of the market, what we are seeing now is favorable long term. You never could expect the bipolar nature of the market to continue to produce higher highs for the S&P 500. You had to have this acceptance of both growth and value at the same time. One point on that, look today, we're talking about Amazon and Apple. Yes, Amazon's down from its September high, Apple's down from its January high, but guess what? Facebook, Microsoft, Alphabet, they're all making all-time highs today in the midst of it. So I like that balanced approach and if flat is the new up over the next couple of months, I'm fine with that. Okay, let's talk about some moves you all are making. I mentioned Jim with Qualcomm and Apple and adding to those positions. Uh, Steve Weiss, you bought the altimeter growth, uh, the AGC again, uh, and Viacom CBS. Jim, I mean, Steve, you should just have, why don't you just have Farmer Jim run your portfolio? Right, I mean, he tells you to get into <laughs> to GM, you, find, you get into GM. He tells you to get into Viacom CBS, you get into Viacom CBS. I mean, did I leave any out? He's got enough work to do, but I, I mean, he might Steve take you on as a client. Though. Yeah, well, look, look, as I, I said in the past, credit, I like adding he's, some humility. Uh, <laughs> I, I like adding some humility to my portfolio, which is why I include some of Jim's names. Uh, Viacom, I waited till Jim bought it. Of course, I'm buying it lower than he bought it. And look, I, that to me, that's a trade, and it's a great trade. Over a billion shares traded since we had the unwinding of the family office. There's only a float of 550 million. Now, if I were all still on the trading desk at Lehman or Solomon, a prop desk, and bought these shares, I'd say, you know what? Now I'm going to wait. I've taken my market where it is. I'm going to wait, and I'll get rid of whatever I have left as the stock rises. So I think when you take that in conjunction with valuation, which is about eight times EBITDA, historically cheap, that you've got a pretty much de-risk stock here. Could it go down a couple bucks? Yes. Could it go up 10, 20, 30 percent? Absolutely. So that's a trade. In terms of AGC, Altimeter, that's a bet on Brad Gerson. And I 
trade this one now because he hasn't declared. In other words, he hasn't said what he's buying. There are rumors as to what he's going to buy. But the SPAC space overall is a trading space right now. I like Brad. If he declared today, I'd have a much bigger position because I trust him in what he's going to do. In terms of the overall market, look, I'm pretty much fully invested. Yeah. We could see uh, some, some volatility come out well, when you get the Fed minutes today. Kaplan keeps coming out and throwing some cold water on it, but the market looks right through it. So, Man, look, everybody else nothing, has come out and said they're, say, prepared, they're prepared to let inflation right. run hot. I mean, that's, that, that's right. the narrative, right? I mean, that, that's, that, it, that is until it isn't. Let me talk about something that you sold. You sold the, the Jets mm-hmm. ETF, which is interesting for a stock that right. I'm going to talk to Joe about in a minute. But tell me about why you sold the Jets ETF. Look, you just have to make choices within the portfolio. And I'm trying to narrow down my positions. I want to be more concentrated. So I'm going to be cutting some others out. I've got a fairly sizable position United. I'd much rather pick United and use that. We tried to, you know, just anecdotally, we looked at a place in California, spa, high-end spa to go to. It's fully booked. Naturally. Traveling is going to come back. So, uh, (laughs) so look, look at it this (laughs) naturally. So look at it this way. A year ago, you had the entire world shut down. And the only ones that really impacted, unfortunately, were really the service industries. So the hotels, restaurants, et cetera. Everybody else went about their way, continued to make the money they were making. A lot of people did a lot better. So you have this real division. Now, as everybody comes back to work and the global economy reopens, they're going to go back. And that's going to drive the markets. That's going to drive the economy. That's going to increase your earnings estimates and your returns. So that's why you got to be bullish. And I'm trying to recover from the shock of agreeing with Jim yet again and him saying something that's going to be right. Well, the other the other farmer Jim trade is, you know, you all know that that Jim's been in Alaska Airlines. It, it's been his airline of choice, if you will, as a stock. Uh, and yet, Joe, you sold it. So, I mean, Jim is right in the middle of some big portfolio moves today. I'm going to let you talk. To, you tell me, well, Joe, why you sold it. And then I'm going to let Jim sort of wrap up what Steve did and what you did. OK, well, well, wait a second. Let's let's remember, Jimmy, you didn't want me to buy it when I did, but it was a rental for me. I wanted some exposure to this reopening trade, and I wanted to do it through an airline that really had a focus on recreational travel, not the international, not the corporate travel. So Morgan Stanley comes out with a note today. They raise Alaska Air from equal weight to an overweight. The price reaction to that has been awful. And what they highlighted in that uh, note was that they believe the upside surprise could come in international and corporate travel. Well, that's going to place my holding of Alaska Air in a difficult position because I'm trying to insulate myself from where the uh, impairment's been for corporate and international travel. So rang the register on it. I've never been a big fan of the airline, Scott. You know that uh, from doing this show with me for many, many years. Uh, but moving past it now, and if there is an opportunity to reload into an airline, I'm going to do it when we get the surprise on corporate and international travel. And the stock hit a 52-week high today, $74, just north of that before pulling back a little bit. All right, Jim, give me 30 seconds. Yeah, Joe made a short-term trade. He did very well. My long-term thesis is intact. 
that the digestion of uh, Virgin America combined with a strong balance sheet, rising price pressure, it all bodes well for the next several quarters for Alaska Airlines. So I'm sticking with it. And look, I got to give Steve credit, all right? I was a week early on Viacom CBS. He said, I'm not ready yet. Because of that, I bought it at 45. He bought it at 43. We both see the same value there. He's, he's got a better entry point. I got to hand him credit on it. Well, that was almost exactly 30 seconds. I thought you were going to go over. Then I remembered you used to be in the military. You know everything about all that stuff. <laughs> all right. I'm going to get to you next, Jim, after the break for your new buy as well. At least you're buying more of a stock we've talked about before, plus a new street high target on J.P. Morgan ahead of its earnings next week. The trade is straight ahead in our call of the day. And a reminder, you can always watch or listen to us live on the go on the CNBC app. We're back after this quick break. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one. Visit odfl.com to learn more. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. Welcome back. I'm Rahel Solomon, and here is your CNBC News update at this hour. In Minneapolis, a use of force expert has testified that Derek Chauvin never took his knee off George Floyd's neck during the nine and a half minutes that Floyd was handcuffed and lying face down. She also said that the use of force was excessive. The head of the CDC says that the U.K. variant of the coronavirus has become the most common in the U.S. She's encouraging states with rising caseloads to curtail or suspend youth sport activities to try to slow the spread of the virus. The Chinese government is warning the U.S. not to boycott the Beijing Olympics, saying that politicizing sports is against the spirit of the Olympic Games. Now, while calls for a boycott have grown louder, the State Department has denied it's considering such a move. The museum in Hamburg has found a musical way to set a Guinness World Record by setting up a model train to pay a melody on nearly 3,000 wine glasses Museum staff and volunteers spent weeks on the project after pandemic closures left them with time on their hands. Scott, I'll send it back to you. I was waiting for one of those glasses at least to to knock over and then start a domino effect on the train tracks. Is that, <laughs> is that bad? Yes, that's bad, Scott. German engineering at its finest. Thought it was going to happen. All right, Rahel, thank you. We'll see you in a bit. Okay. All right, uh, Farmer Jim, Northrop Grumman, you bought more. Tell us why. Yeah, well, so Northrop Grumman, first off, this has been a mistake for two years. It's gone nowhere. And anybody who's followed me knows that. However, it does look like it's breaking out right now. If you're a bear, you're going to tell me, hey, defense spending is going to go down. 
I'm saying to you, who doesn't know that? And what the bulls like me are saying is where spending is actually going up is where Northrop Grumman thrives. That's airplanes like the B-21 Raider, the new bomber, uh, ballistic missiles, satellites. All of these things are growth areas, and that's where Northrop Grumman is. So I I think this is the year for Northrop Grumman. I'm adding to it today. Okay, thank you for that. Now, J.P. Morgan named... Top pick at Barclays. The price target goes to 187. They're bullish on the bank's upcoming earnings report. That is our call of the day. What I don't understand is why nobody owns this stock and they own other financials. Joe, you own Goldman and Morgan Stanley. Jim owns Citi and Goldman. Weiss owns Bank of America and Goldman. Weiss, why no JPM? What's the story here? You know, I just thought that Bank of America was a lot cheaper stock. Uh, I didn't know where the marginal buyer in J.P. Morgan was going to come from. Clearly, it's been a mistake. Kept going. But you know what? Made some pretty good money in Bank of America. And I continue to think Moynihan is the most unsung of all the bank CEOs out there. They've got a great, great franchise. And look, I'm sticking with it. I'm not buying J.P. Morgan at this level. Uh, Jamie Dimon is the most out front in terms of the press. Brian stays under the radar a little more. But... You're going to make money in the banks no matter what you own. I just think going forward, you make more money in Bank America. Kerry, I mean, your, your largest position is square into how sort of Jamie Dimon is thinking about the future of banking himself, right? In that in letter that he wrote today that I referenced earlier about how bullish he is on the economy into 2023, he did talk about fintech and the threat that fintech has to the banks. Right. PayPal is your largest position. Well, PayPal has been a stock we've owned for years, and we believe that the market for transactions financially is just moving toward different types of payment. Digital is what they excel at. They created Venmo and, or well, they bought Venmo, but it became an enormous franchise, which we we all use, or most people seem to use. Uh, Visa, American Express is a name that we added. Uh, over the last few months, Schwab and Blackstone, we own names and financials that are not money center banks because we believe it's uh, an interest rate play, uh, which, you know, I mean, that's one dimensional for the big banks. And the underwriting business is shrinking for them. A lot of their traditional sources of income are declining and are going to continue to erode. And they're trying to play catch up in places that, for example, PayPal has been in for years, and we think that's a problem, even though we admit that the banks were cheap and you can make money in them and probably will continue to make more money. We think you can make more in some of these other areas. Joe, why Goldman and Morgan Stanley, but not J.P. Morgan? Well, uh, Carrie and Steve are both defining exactly the strategic approach to financials right now. It's about beta, about beta exposure. You're going to get more beta exposure when Treasury yields are rallying 55 basis points in 20 days in a Wells Fargo, in a Bank of America, in a Goldman Sachs or a Morgan Stanley. Now, if we're going to see a moderation in the velocity for the move in Treasury yields, then I'm going to go back to a low beta financial services play, and that would take me right to J.P. Morgan. So I said to our producers before, I had been in Bank of America, I had been in Wells Fargo, I'm out of those names, I'm holding serve on Goldman and Morgan Stanley, But if conditions for Treasury yields remain as they are, J.P. Morgan, that would be the next money center bank name that I add to the portfolio. But you're telling me that that J.P. Morgan, you need to look at it as an investor or our viewer so differently than you look at the other big banks that you mentioned, because that's what you're saying. That's what you're saying. Yes, you do. 
But yes, that's sir. not how the sector trades, though. Always look that's not how the sector trades, though. No. Right? I mean, it doesn't. I'm looking, uh, at, the, I'm looking at the returns here. I'm looking at the returns. I mean, all right. Year to date, J.P. Morgan may be up slightly less than Bank of America, 54 to 60 percent, respectively. And over a year, the gains are, are not that far apart either. But you're suggesting that you need to look at this one different than you look at all the others. So over the course of a year, the gains are not going to be different because the move in yields didn't begin until the end of 2020. At the beginning of that one year time frame, I own J.P. Morgan. I talked with you about owning it. Why? You wanted that higher quality, lower beta exposure. In the environment we're now in in 2021, I'm sorry, I respectfully disagree with you. I know how institutional money is managed. Institutional money is now capturing as much exposure to high beta, low quality, weak balance sheets, interest rate sensitivity as it could possibly gobble up. Okay. I'm just looking at the numbers. That's all I'm going by. But I appreciate your answer. Coming up. Up next, top ideas for where the reopening trade ends. One of those names has more than doubled since the pandemic low. And as we go to break, check on the S&P sectors today. It's comp services and tech leading the way, even though the NASDAQ is down about 17 and a half points. Modest losses across the board. We're back right after this. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones... Our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. You notice Chipotle today? There's the stock up nearly 3%, second best performer in the S&P. Joe, you bought it at the end of March and you're up almost 9% in that time, right at $1,530. What about CMG? I expect it to push higher, uh, eventually taking out the 1564 February 9th all-time high. They'll re- be reporting earnings on April 21st. Expect a very strong quarter. They retain pricing power. They were able to raise recently on the menu uh, the pricing for both steak and barbacoa. Uh, both of that suggests consumers are willing to pay for the product. And it is an example uh, to your comments before of a stock in the sweet spot. Where, where, is, where does it fall on the beta spectrum, though, Joe? That's what I really want to know. Is it medium beta, <laughs> low beta, high beta, getting higher I'll, beta? I'll give you an Moderating ex- beta? Where, where I'll is give it? You <laughs> medium beta. <laughs> Okay, good. Good answer. All right. <laughs> Let's get to Rahel Solomon again. She has a new note on top on some top ideas from when the reopening trade ends. Hello again. Hi again, Scott. So, yeah, this note is from UBS. And, Scott, these are all names that the firm expects to do well even beyond the reopening trade, which the note points out should end no later than September. So top buys for UBS include, there are quite a few, but Nike, Deckers, Outdoor Corp, Canada Goose, Ralph Lauren, Skechers, Levi, PVH, American Eagle Outfitters, and Capri Holdings, According to note, these all have long-term growth prospects and are best positioned to outperform. Firm expects these to be EPS beats and most likely to see multiple expansion. Also, Scott, quick note on Nike. Piper Sandler, they're out with their teen survey today, and Nike remains the number one brand by teens. That's a spot it's held for more than a decade. It's also the most followed brand on Instagram. Stock, though, has been a bit of a lagger. The tier is down 3%. 
American Eagle, by the way, came in at number two for teens. And back to UBS, one area that UBS especially likes is denim. Noting shifting trends from skinny jeans to looser-fitting denim and believes that names that are more denim-leaning, such as Levi, stand to benefit from the shift. It's also backed up by that Piper Sandler survey, which cites that baggy pants are the number two fashion trend for teen girls. So essentially, I buy skinny jeans, hello, a boyfriend jeans, and I say... Thank you for that. <laughs> All right. Rahel, thank you. All right. We're ready to answer your questions next. You can send one in by video. And, yep, we'll play it on the air. Email us, askhalftime at CNBC.com. We'll be back right after this. All right, gang, let's do it. Let's answer some questions now from our viewers. Angie in Boston has one for Carrie. Appreciate your thoughts on S&P Global. Carrie, you own it. Yeah, Angie. Well, right here from Boston, I'll tell you that we like this stock. So when S&P Global merged with IHS market, there was a lot of confusion in the marketplace about what you do with market leaders, two market leaders, S&P on the market side, S&P, the debt side, equity side, all the listings. And then you had IHS, which was oil and gas, health services. What they put together is a great diversified company that has financial data on all kinds of industries. I think that the market is beginning to appreciate what they've got, what the earnings potential is, and we would stick with it because we think it's a really excellent runway going forward. Okay, thank you for that. Steve Weiss, got a video question for you. Hey, this is Zach, big fan of the show. My question was for Steve Weiss on Jumia. He would be adding to his position right here. Thanks. All right, Weiss, you talk about this one a lot. So, are, you, are you doing more in it? I did do more in it, and the reason is that the company raised about $340 million. They completed that on March 30th. Last time they did a raise, the stock took a hit also, and then it traded up to the all-time highs to about 60 bucks. I expect the same thing to happen here. The news on the stock is that they were just named the most influential brand in Egypt. What's important about that? Amazon made an acquisition in Egypt. And they compete with them. And Jumia is doing very well beating them at their own game. So, look, 11 African countries, it is the Amazon of Africa. you got to hold this. you got to be patient with it. It's going to continue to grow. I think it's going to do extremely well. Okay. So, yes, I would add to it here, and I add lower. Okay. Thank you for that. Uh, Farmer Jim, from Phil, you nailed the Home Depot trade, buying at $250 a month ago. Will you hold, hold or trim some here? Uh, and then there's a postscript for you, too. Um, does Weiss pay you a finder's fee for all the winners he piggybacks off of you? I feel you, Phil. I really do. So I want to know both of those answers, Jim. Okay, let's start with Home Depot. Sometimes the market dislocates, and that's what happened after the fourth quarter earnings. Stock went down. Look, that was just people taking profits. That was consolidation. It gave an opportunity for people like me who didn't own it to buy this high quality company. I'm not planning on selling it anytime soon. Yeah, I see where mortgage rates are, but I think the housing market is strong. As far as Steve Weiss goes, Steve, you're, you're getting payback for not being nicer to me. Uh, but that said, uh, in all honesty, you got to know that Steve is an excellent trader and investor. Oh, and if it ever God. seems like he's out of favor, nah, seriously, I'm gonna throw even if up. it feels like he's out of favor, just like when I'm out of favor, you're supposed to buy me. All right. Seriously, guys like me and Steve, when you think we're out of favor, that's when you're supposed to buy us. OK, I got to go to the next. So one. I never get I, bought then. All right. Joe, I, I never get bought then. Joe, Jody in California. What's yes. your opinion on Cummins? I own it and it's been up. What do you do? 
Uh, you utilize the 100-day moving average at 242 as a point of reference. Until then, you focus on the positive fundamentals, which is the contribution of hydrogen technology into power and engine uh, generation. And this is a stock, by the way, that has very low beta at 0.9 versus Chipotle at medium beta at 1.08. Okay. Thanks for the questions. Good answers, too. Up next, two high-flying travel and transport stocks that Kerry thinks has have more room to run. We're back in two minutes. All right, Kerry, two picks in the reopening theme in travel and transportation. Which ones? Okay, booking holdings and Wabtec. Booking is the old Priceline biggest place for people to book uh, airline and hotel travel. Three legs that it's going to move forward. One is domestic travel. It's already started to come back. Then there's international travel. Once people get vaccinated, we're going to see this huge wave internationally. And the third will be business travel, which isn't going to come until next year and beyond. And so from those three, we have momentum for booking for the next few years. Then on Wabtec. They make freight cars and freight parts and transit cars. And both are chugging along on the bottom, no pun intended. But business has been terrible in both areas. GDP growth will help freight volumes. We have supply constraints all over systems because of COVID. That will go away. Then an infrastructure bill, good for freight. And on transit side, no one's taking public transportation or very few people. Ridership is way down. That's going to pick up. And that also will be helped by infrastructure. The stock sells for 17 times next year's earnings. We think both stocks have a lot of potential. Yeah, they've had a pretty good run over six months. Under 90 seconds. Yes, you did. Yeah, but so is everything. Yeah, congratulations. (laughs) Congrats. Making up for all the other times. Thank you. Just kidding. Final trades are next. (laughs) All right, let's do final trades. Carrie, you're first. American Express combines financials and travel. Higher interest rates help, and people going places and spending their money is very good for American Express. Okay, thank you for that. Joe T. The value proposition on Pinterest is the positive comment platform that it provides. Engagement is high. This stock is going to continue to push higher. I own it. We'll see it north of 90 and probably north of 100 in the near future. All right. Thank you. Steve Weiss. Ericsson. It's a stock I've owned for a long time. 45 billion mark cap. Earnings growing at 50%. It's been restructured. Continue to pick up share from Huawei. If you like the 5G story at all, you got to like this because there are only two companies that make the infrastructure, and Ericsson is by far the better one. Okay. And Farmer Jim. Okay, Kinder Morgan, we haven't talked about this in a while. In two weeks, they should raise their dividend. I think they'll raise it to $1.25, should have a dividend yield of 6%, which means the stock at 1680 should go to 2080. There, I've given you and Steve a lot of rope with which to hang me if I'm wrong. <laughs> yeah. All right. Thank you, guys. Good to see everybody. <laughs> You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. You seek the key, but first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today.